Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about the season finale of Stargate SG-1 Season 5, Episode 22, Revelations. Starting the post-Daniel era. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Miss him already. It's been one episode. Miss him already? Miss him already. No oh, man. Well, okay. So, did he voice Thor in this one? I don't think so. They mentioned in the commentary when they were talking about the Thor puppet that somebody else was doing. They mentioned somebody else's name that I didn't recognize. It didn't say Michael no. was doing like it. him. Okay, because I was curious about that. Of he's gone but not forgotten. Yes. <laughs> Although. No, they did say, so Revelation, so this episode was filmed before they filmed Meridian. Oh. So they all had to be mourning Daniel when, like, Daniel hadn't actually died yet for them in the show. Huh, Which is okay. A little weird. Like, they had they, they had the script and they knew what was going to happen and everything, but they hadn't actually filmed any of it yet. Well, right, but that I think that definitely would have affected their performance. Yeah. Like... If they had filmed it in the right order, they would have been able to draw on what actually occurred organically. Well, Martin, well, we'll get to it when, I'll save it for when we, it's like the opening scene. We can get to it. Okay. All right. um, All right. Let's do it. Okay. So this is Revelations. It originally aired on May 17th, 2002. It was written by Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully and directed by Martin Wood. And on the commentary, we have Martin Wood, James Titchener, Joe Malazzi, and Paul Mully. Yay. In this episode, still dealing with the death of one of their own, SG-1 must put its mourning aside in order to confront the warlord Anubis, who has captured the Asgard leader Thor so he can extract the secrets of their ancient technology for universal domination. No big deal. Just saving the world again. Yeah, just saving the galaxy again. From, you know, it's what they do. annihilation. Yes. Just Tuesday. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So this episode starts with a couple flashbacks to the episode, like, Summit with Lord Yu objecting to, like, Anubis wanting to be admitted back amongst the system lords. And also, just in case you forgot, Daniel died last week. That's the <laughs> status quo of things, just in case. If you had already forgotten. So I may have missed it, but do they convey how long after Daniel's accession, death, and or disappearance this takes place? No, there is no specific mention of a passage of time, but I I don't think it's been more than like a week in the show because it, it, it yeah. all still seems fairly new and fresh. And yeah, so it, it has not been that long for them, I don't it think. It does feel pretty soon, yeah. Yeah. So we then have two ghoul motherships in orbit around the planet when an Asgard ship then drops out of hyperspace and we see Osiris on one of the motherships and they are being hailed by Thor, Supreme Commander of the Asgard fleet. Osiris is in violation of the Protected Planets Treaty and if she doesn't leave, she will be fired upon and she's like, try your worst. So Thor fires and nothing happens. The shields hold, which is apparently... Not what usually happens, and so Cyrus is very happy because this means the system lords no longer have any reason to fear the Asgard. No! Crap. Crap indeed. Bad news. Bad, bad news. Mm-hmm. No good, very bad day. Yes, very much. So we come back from the opening credits, and we're in the SGC, and we see Sam wandering around Daniel's lab, which 
Did you notice on the desk the picture of Daniel is actually James Spader from the movie on the camel? Okay, so I did see the photo and I wondered which one that was because it was very James Spader. But I remember us talking about how at the very beginning how Michael Shanks deliberately made himself look as James Spadery as possible. So I didn't yeah. know if maybe they had taken that at the time as like a promo shot or something. Nope. But no, it wasn't, wasn't That's him at James all. That's James no. from the movie. Yep. <laughs> That's really funny. I know. Like, look, yeah. it is the same guy. It's the same guy. Um, I just, I was drawn to the fact that the glasses were on the desk. Yeah. Yeah. How did, how did those get there? Yeah. Anyway, um, so Hammond then comes in and tells her that Jack has requested to remain on active duty while they try to find someone to replace Daniel. And Sam's not really thrilled with that. Like, this whole situation is just weird. Like, they didn't even have a memorial. They don't even know if he's, like, really actually dead. So, like, what are they supposed to do? And Hammond relays a story from when he was in Vietnam and saw a friend of his get shot down. But, like, he knew he survived because he saw the parachute open and then radioed in, like, the location of this guy when that happened. But he never found out for sure what happened. Like, the the guy was never found. The Vietnamese people never admitted to having him. And he just had to learn to live with the uncertainty, which I thought was a very touching story because we don't really know a lot about Hammond's past really yeah it is nice when you get those little tidbits of stories and they're they're very poignant yes um so in the commentary here Martin would mention like you know Sam's all teary and like Hammond's all teary and uh, you asked earlier um just Amanda Tapping is such a good actor that you know when they started it she's like you know how far do you want me to go with the whole crying being sad thing and she like went for it and he had to be like okay bring it bring it back a little bring bit it. like yeah. she's very she she's apparently Amanda's very good at crying and she was like you know a whole gross snotty mess and it's like that that was too much that was good but it was too much so back it off a little bit yeah so you know they are actors and they're very good at their job and they know what they need to do so I don't know I thought the emotions that they all kind of convey through this are are interesting though because I I would have thought they would have been more like, you know, we miss him, but at least he's not dead. Or at least we don't think so, because we saw him turn into a glowy thing and float away. So I I would have thought they would have had a more, like, hopeful kind of air yeah. to their sadness, but they did not. I mean, Tilk seems to. Yeah. When you get to that conversation he has with Sam, he seems more... positive quote unquote (laughs) about Daniel being gone and Jack's just kind of not talking about it at all but I think Sam's just honestly is just confused and like do I mourn him do I not I don't know and I think she's almost more frustrated with the situation than active I mean she is sad because her friend is not there in whatever capacity the being not there is at this point so I think that's also, yeah, I, I get like frustration from Sam over what do I, how do I feel? What do I do? I don't know. And it's, you know, difficult mm-hmm. to process. Yep. Yeah. 
We then get a, an unscheduled off-world activation and the power goes out and the phones go down and we then get Hammond called to the gate room over the PA and he and Sam head up and there's Frere standing on the ramp in front of the gate and Sam orders, you know, all the airmen to stand down. Frere apologizes for the Asgard not being around, but they were kept a little busy with the, you know, whole replicator situation. Jack and Tilk then enter the gate room as Fur continues that they did receive the message a couple, well, a while ago now regarding Reese. And that's great news for them, but that's not the only reason that he's there. There was also an incident with the ghouls, and Thor is dead. No! Um, so we get a little bit in the commentary here about the CGI Asgard that we get in this episode. And which how is they actually did that. a lot better. Yes, which is because apparently they've been working on it for like two years. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Yes. Um, and they actually did this with motion capture. Um, really? Yes. And they'd initially talked about bringing Alex Zahara back in because he's good at that kind of thing. But he's he's too tall as far as like the scale wise of like mm -hmm. filming, you know, the tall dude and then shrinking it down to Asgard, not great. So Tail Rothery did it, who plays, you know, Dr. Frazier. So oh, fun. So the other kind of funny bit is so to get everybody's eye line right, as far as like where the Asgard's face would be, Terrell's wearing basically like a long sleeve, just like black t-shirt and black pants and shoes on set with like the the face of the Asgard like on her chest which means the Asgard's um, eyes are were her at, boob at, at boob level and it led to a lot of laughing initially from everybody who had to just like stare at her boobs while they talked to the Asgard <laughs> right like you do yes so yeah and they they I didn't quite understand it but this is like early days that they actually had to like film everything like three times like they filmed it like on the set with Terrell so they did all that then they got Terrell on a motion capture thing and then I'm not quite sure what the third thing was anyway but they had to like film things so like Terrell had to remember like whatever she did on set she had to redo in like the motion capture arena whatever to mm -hmm. like make sure everything linked if she was like touching things or moving things so yeah so it sounded like it was quite a process, but they were all like, they're very excited about like new technology. Oh my God. Really fun. So I mean, it looked a lot better than it did. It did for sure. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So basically, um, so yeah, so Thor is dead. And so that encounter that we saw at the opening of the episode with Osiris led to a massive battle in which Thor's ship was destroyed. The ghouls have apparently managed to upgrade their shields and weapons and can no longer be taken down by the Asgard when needed. So basically the protected planets are no longer protected, which would include Earth. So, yeah. Oh, so not good. The not galaxy good. No. is in dire peril. Yes. And uh, Freyr is there to ask for SG-1's help. One of the Asgard scientists was left trapped on that planet and he would like them to mount a rescue because the SGC has a cargo ship, right? Kind of. It's not really in the best shape. And Jack's just like, we'll do it. That's because that's what they do, right? They they help. They rescue people. Yay. So the Asgard would be forever in their debt as the research that's being done is vital to the future of the Asgard. So. Oh, man. Also, no big deal. It's just the fate of an entire race. But yep. hey, that's if you're all, not doing anything, can you? Yeah. 
Yeah, you got we nothing going on, right? So it's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. So as Jack leaves, Sam follows and tries to get him to talk about this, everything, and Jack's just basically not talking about it. He's not dealing with it. It's fine. Like, what's there to talk about? Dean is gone. They have a job to do, so let's go do the job, which, like, okay, that's Jack for you at this yep. point. Yeah. Yeah. So we're on the cargo ship, and Jack is in the back cleaning and reassembling his uh, P90 machine gun. And Tilk is up front with Sam, and they talk a bit about Daniel. And Tilk seems to be somewhere in between Sam and Jack right now regarding his feelings about Daniel being gone. And he's, he will perform whatever morning rites the Jaffa do when the time comes. But right now, this mission is extremely important. He also mentions that Daniel achieving ascension is something to be admired. Sam doesn't really know about that. Maybe it is a great thing. She would just rather have him back. And so would Tilk. Yeah. Yeah. But if he were back, he would have died. I don't. <laughs> I guess that's the part where I was like, I thought you would have been way more like at least a glimmer of happiness that he didn't die a horrible, awful, painful death. That he reached yes. a place where he could actually be existing somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then they are just about to reach the Adara system, which is apparently where this planet is that the Asgard is trapped on. And I did some Googling just to see if this is a real thing. And it turns out there is a star called Adara, which, but it's spelled A-D-H-A-R-A. Mm-hmm. Um, would, would you like to know some bit about Because it's actually quite interesting, I found. What? <laughs> <laughs> At least I think which, it is, maybe. Which is different from the things that you usually come up with. Well, I mean, it's a star. How is it a star? I don't know. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I would love to finally know some interesting things that you found. Proceed. Okay. So Adara is the 22nd 22nd brightest star in the sky. And it is the brightest source of ultraviolet light. And if we could see ultraviolet light, it would be the brightest star in the sky. Uh, It's found in the constellation Canis Major and is part of a binary star system called Epsilon Canis Majoris. It's about 430 light years from the sun and is estimated to be only 22.5 million years old. So fairly young as far as stars go, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Baby. Yep. Baby. Uh, The name comes from the Arabic phrase al-Idahara, which means either the maidens or the virgins. But it is whoever named the star that we has been lost to history. So. Ah, okay. We don't know who named it that or why. Just that's what it is. So. Oh. There you go. That's Adara for you. That is fascinating. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> so now, if anyone ever asks you, hey, what's the 22nd brightest star in the sky? You could go, ha ha! I know! I know that one. Know that one. Yay. They're still in hyperspace, and they're able to detect the two motherships still in orbit, and they unfortunately can't cloak until they actually exit hyperspace, and there's a chance they could be spotted. It's not really much of a chance, and Sam kind of wishes she hadn't mentioned it, and there's kind of, like, there, there's some tension happening right now between Sam and Jack about just everything. It's 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 not the best right now between them. No, yeah, yeah. Not, not very good. So they drop out of hyperspace and cloak, and they don't get fired upon, so yay. Good, good there, at least. Mm-hmm. And they head down through the very thick atmosphere. It's, like, very bumpy and turbulent. And Jack's like, can I, can, can, I, can, we, can we get another seat back here, please? Because standing is not great right now. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
they land on the planet, which is over 80% carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and about 420 degrees Fahrenheit. And they're like, well, how are we supposed to find Asgard lab? We can't like leave the ship. Yeah, well, they do that by just getting beamed out of there by the Asgard. Yay. I do like that. I wonder how freaky that would be to just be like mid sentence. And all of a sudden you're in another room of what the, what did, oh, man, this is again. I know. Do you ever get I used know. to it? I know. How much of it would be panic versus, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Asgard. Hi. I don't yeah. Know. yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're down in the lab and we get to meet Heimdall, who's actually voiced by Terrell Rothery. Yay. She, yeah, she didn't voice Rare, but she did voice Heimdall. Um, would you like to know some fun facts about the real Heimdall? I would love to know facts about Heimdall. Is Heimdall the same Heimdall we've come to know in the Marvel Thor series at yes. all? Yes, Woo-hoo! Idris Elba. Yes, Idris Elba. Yes, please. Uh, all right. In that yeah. scene. Okay. So Heimdall is the son of Odin and nine mothers. There has been some debate about the the literalness of the nine mothers part of that conception, because how can nine women give birth to a singular being, even gods, whatever. Um, Some scholars interpret this as a reference to the nine daughters of Ajir and Ran, who are personifications of the waves. So he would then be sort of like a like a sea god. Uh, he keeps watch for invaders and the beginning of Ragnarok. His home is called Himmenbjörg, and it's where the Bifrost meets the sky. So that rainbow bridge that we're very familiar with in the MCU, that's the Bifrost. Mm-hmm. Yep. Heimdall, Heimdall possesses the horn Gjallarhorn and a golden-maned horse named Gulltopper, along with a large store of mead. What? None of these things we saw in the movies. Nope. He is said to he is said to possess foreknowledge along with keen eyesight and hearing. And from the Prose Edda, which is sort of the main book we have about Norse mythology, uh, it's said that Heimdall requires less sleep than a bird, can see at night just as well as if it were day, and for over a hundred leagues. Heimdall's hearing is also quite keen, and he can hear grass as it grows on the earth, wool as it grows on sheep, and anything louder. Oh man. So that's Why? Heimdall. We didn't see any of that in the show either. I know. There, I mean, we got some like vision stuff, but you know. Okay. No large stash of mead. Nope. That would have been awesome. Although I wonder if Carl Carl Urban, when he took over for Heimdall, did you think he maybe had a stash of mead somewhere? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Why am I forgetting his character's name? I don't know. Anyway. Okay. Probably. Yeah. So Heimdall does ask after Daniel, but is just told that he's not there with them. And the lab is located several hundred meters below the surface. And so far, the ghoul have not been able to find it. So great, let's go. Not yet. They have to rescue Thor. Turns out Thor isn't dead. He's just Yay! been taken prisoner. Oh. Yeah. So we get a quick cut up to Osiris's ship where we see Thor strapped to a table and Thor tries to pull. But like, my friend will be here any minute now to kick your butt. But Osiris isn't really bothered. With that, given what happened earlier, where they, like, totally defeated Thor's ship. So, Osiris yep. isn't bothered. Yeah. That's where the confidence comes into play. Perhaps overconfidence. Hmm. A little bit, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Down in the lab, Heimdall says that there was an escape pod from Thor's ship that the ghoul managed to snag up before he was able to get down to the planet's surface. And he has equipment that allows him to scan the Gould ship and is able to detect Thor's biosignature. It can also detect symbiotes so they know where all the Gould and or Jaffa are on the ship. Um, hey. unfor- unfortunately, the beaming technology cannot get through the Gould shields. Also, it's highly likely that Thor is being tortured for information on Asgard technology. And if they do manage to get anything out of him, that would be more very bad news for Earth. No good, very bad, everybody. Yes. Uh, another quick cut back to the ship, and Thor's not going to tell Osiris anything, and it's not just Osiris that wants to know stuff. It's Anubis. He's on his way there now to interrogate Thor himself. <gasps> Anubis himself? Anubis himself. We finally get to meet the man we've heard so much about. The first appearance of Anubis. Mm-hmm. So we see SG-1 like watching uh, on like the map from the lab as Osiris leaves, and Heimdall is able to communicate with Thor, so Jack gets on the little hologram podium thing, goes to talk to him, and Thor tries to get them to just go because Heimdall's research is too important to the survival of the Asgard, and Thor will die before he tells Anubis anything, but no, Jack's going to get Thor out of there. So this definitely is a rescue mission. Yay! So what exactly is Heimdall doing that Thor would risk his life for? Turns out the Asgard are all clones. For over a thousand years, they've reproduced solely through mitosis. So no, Jack, they haven't had sex in over a thousand years. Ching <laughs> insert. Any yes. joke you can possibly think of here. Yes, and I love, like... You can really see Terrell in the motion capture there where Heimdall kind of like tilts tilts his head and is like, we, we don't really talk about that with other people. Like, the, <laughs> there's just something very Terrell in that head tilt of like, yeah, we don't talk about it because maybe yeah. it's a little embarrassing. Yeah. So for, for a while, like, this is great. And it gave the Asgard something like immortality because as one Asgard body aged and broke down, the consciousness, the consciousness could just be transferred to a new body and on they went. Unfortunately, that process is now breaking down because they've basically been making a copy of a copy of a copy, etc. And so basically the Asgard as a race are dying. But that's an interesting thing, though, is that they got to a place where they thought it would be more efficient. And then it turned out that they no longer can reproduce normally as we that's so I thought that was an interesting twist of like no no not only do we not do that it's that we can't do it anymore yeah (laughs) yep yeah and apparently this this is kind of a storyline that's been sort of bouncing around the writer's room for a while as a way to explain why the Asgard all look exactly the same yeah so that's kind of where this part of that storyline has sort of sprung from so yeah makes sense yeah but then why do they all sound different because they do? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I had... Because? Because? Like, it's, it like, I don't know. That question reminds me of Supernatural when uh, Christopher Heimdall, Heyerdahl, Heimdall, not Christopher, Christopher Heyerdahl was on as uh, a demon that had, like, been played by another actor, but then, like, you know, the, the, the human that was being possessed by the demon was killed, but then... The, but for some reason, Christopher Heyerdahl had like the same weird sort of vocal inflection that the original actor was doing. And it was like, why? But you're a different body. Don't you have a different voice? Like, I don't know. That always confused ah. me a little bit. I don't know. Ah. I, don't, I don't know. They just do. 
They just sound different. It's the only thing they've been able to maintain for individuality. Yes. Yep. Oh, that was something funny that I noticed is when we first meet, it's Freya that comes to ask for help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When when Freya's coming down the um the gate thing and uh and Amanda Tapping's immediately like, oh, hey, Frere, like, how do you know which one it is? Yeah, that is the question. Like, how do you know who it is until they talk? That is, yes. that is, the, that is, a, they, they did mention that that was kind of like a, yeah, that's kind of maybe a thing that shouldn't, like, but it is, yeah. Suspend yeah. <laughs> your disbelief. Yes, just it's a little like bit. how they know identical twins are different. People just know. Yeah. Okay, so a Jafra reports to Osiris that they have not yet found the Asgard lab, and it's because, you know, the atmosphere is so thick, it's, you like, the, their sensors, like, can't really penetrate through whatever's in the atmosphere, and Osiris is pissed because they need the motherships that are there to go help in the battle against Lord Yu. Not Yu, Lord. Lord. So, <laughs> so she orders gliders to be sent down to scan from the surface, and the Jaffa tries to argue that that would be too dangerous given the atmosphere. And Osiris just replies, and how dangerous will it be when Lord Anubis arrives and you have nothing to offer but excuses? Oh my. So, oh, gliders it is. In my, I should use that in my everyday life. Yes. <laughs> nothing to offer but excuses. Yes. They do mention here that they purposefully wrote Anubis's Jaffa to be not quite the brainless soldiers that all other Jaffa have been for the other system lords. Like, if you notice, like, these Jaffa kind of, like, not, like, talk back, but sort of question Osiris a bit more rather than just being like, yes, my lord, and off they go to do the thing that they've been ordered to do. Mm, and that was okay. really done on purpose. And, you know, there's a couple of Jaffa that are just sort of like average dudes and are, you know, the big hulking muscle brick shithouses of a man kind of physique. So, and that, that yeah. was very much done on purpose. Oh. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Interesting indeed. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so back in the lab, how are they going to get Thor out? And Sam's like, well, when Anubis gets here, they'll have to lower the shield so he can be beamed aboard. And Tilt's like, well, no, they'll just adjust the frequency of the shield so that the ring can pass through. So they'll just ring up at the same time from the cargo ship. I mean, sure, but then they will be trapped. So they blow up the shield generator. And then the Heimdall can beam everyone out with, you know, Asgard beaming technology. Okay, um... But someone would need to stay in the lab, though, to get whoever is up on the mothership, like, away from the ghoul and Jaffa and, you know, keep them safe from being captured or found. Because, you know, they'll definitely know that somebody else is on board the ship. And also, Heimdall needs to finish preparing everything to be able to leave. So, okay, Sam's going to stay with Heimdall and Jack and Tilk are going to be the ones that head up to the ship. Sam's going to be the guy in the chair. Yep, Sam's the gal in the chair. Yep. Mm -hmm. Lord Anubis has arrived. What? Uh, SG-1 and Heimdall get everything set, and once Anubis rings over, Jack and Tilk head up too, and Sam's watching from the lab, and so far so good. But the Jaffa on the ship have detected Jack and Tilk's arrival, and so Osiris orders a search party to go find whoever these intruders are, because they don't know it's Jack and Tilk yet. So we see Sam kind of leading Jack and Tilk through the halls, including getting them to duck out of the way when a large group of Jaffa and a guy in a massive cloak head their way. 
wonder who that could be. I don't know. Let's find out together. So Jack and Tilk continue on their way when suddenly Jaffa start heading towards them from like every direction and there's no way out. Heimdall suggests a diversion and Sam has gone quiet. So Jack and Tilk are just kind of like, uh, we'll go that way, I guess. And we see a door open and a bunch of Jaffa are heading for them. And then suddenly Sam pops up in the hall behind the Jaffa gets their attention. They fire at her, but she's a hologram. So obviously nothing happens except that the destruction works and that allows Jack and Tilk to take out the Jaffa. So yay. yay. And the rest of the way is clear. Yay. And according to the commentary, Rick and Chris never did a take where they walked around Amanda. They always walked through her. So that was an unexpected $20,000 to the special effects budget. <laughs> Alrighty. Yep. I mean, but come on. You, I mean, of course you walk through Amanda. Of course you do. Of yeah. course you walk through that. Yeah. So Anubis walks into Thor's cell again. Thor's going to tell him nothing. And Anubis is like, oh, but you will. And he has this little spiky ball thing that he's going to put into Thor's brain and just download all his knowledge to the ship's computer. And it's like, that's not something the ghoul can do. I guess they can now. And we finally get our first proper look at Anubis's face. And it's just like a black oil slick. It's not actually like a face. There's not like a person. It's just, yeah, like a black oil slick oozy thing. Which leads to so many questions of why does it need a cloak? Why does it have like a person's body, sort of? How does it talk? What is yeah. it? So many questions. Mm-hmm. So many questions. All the questions, yeah. Yes. But apparently the, the special effect that's used for Anubis's face is just like a reuse of the gate puddle effect, just sort of like colored and, you know, treated a bit. Blackened. Yeah. Blackened and like contrasty and stuff. But it's it's the same basic effect, which I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that works. Yeah, that's an interesting parallel then, isn't it? Oh, well, they are. Yeah. What? I don't, they I don't didn't know. even know they were getting deep with it. You know, I don't think they meant it. I think they were just trying to save money. <laughs> but it's cool nonetheless. It is cool, yes. So one of the Jaffa tells Osiris that the intruders have escaped capture. And so Osiris orders him to vent the coolant from the hyperdrive system into the ventilation system. Don't worry, it's only toxic with prolonged exposure. This is, again, that other scene where you see the Jaffa kind of like questioning what Osiris is asking them to do, which like wouldn't happen normally with like anybody else. Right. Um, so then the Jaffa is like, OK, so should we evacuate the engine room? And Osiris is like, no, we can't give the intruders any warning because they might be monitor monitoring communications. And the Jaffa is like, OK, well, then the engine room is going to be flooded with radiation as the engines overheat and a lot of Jaffa will die. And Osiris is like, so? And your point being? <laughs> like, your point is? So Jack and Tilk reach the shield generator room and Sam reappears as the hologram to confirm, you know, that they're at the right door and tells them that six Jaffa are on the inside. And we then get the sound of like gas being emitted and both Jack and Tilk collapse along with many Jaffa. Do you suppose during like any outtakes or anything at any point in time, Amanda was like, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> oh, I'm, <laughs> I, I, ab yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> there is, there is a goof here. Okay. Did you watch this episode on Amazon or on DVD? I watched it on Amazon, actually. Okay, so you didn't see the goof because this is something, it's one of those things that's only visible in the widescreen version, ah, okay. where as Jack and Tilk are approaching the door, off on the right side, 
Amanda is there like ducked down out of the way of the camera if it's in the squared off, you know, original airing aspect ratio. (laughs) But apparently they didn't notice when they went to ride screen and she just you see she's just like all like ducked down in the corner. (laughs) I'm gonna have to go rewatch it. That's funny. Yeah, pull out your DVD and watch it. It's kinda like, oh my god, there's Amanda. What is she doing on the ship? Yeah. It's like those things where, um, I don't know if you've ever seen anything. I I don't know why. It's always like Friends where it's like Joey's on one side, like doing his coverage and like off on the side is like Monica's stand-in, which in the original aspect ratio is fine. But when they widened it to widescreen, like you can still see, you can see it's not like Courtney Cox. It's her like stand-in. Oh, (laughs) no. I didn't know that was happening. That's so funny. Yeah. Anyway, I because because I did watch it in Amazon and on the DVD to like double check when I came across that. So I was like, what you can and can't see. Yep. Funny. Okay, so Heimdall confirms that Jack and Tilk are alive and appear to be in some kind of holding cell. And before they can figure out how to rescue them, they need to get the last of the research materials safe. And Sam's like, okay, what like what are we talking about? Like like DNA samples? Like what exactly are these research materials? And so Heimdall then brings down a large stasis chamber in what is what, what looks like a cross between a human and an Asgard. And as Heimdall says, that is one of my ancestors. 30,000 years ago, a ship was launched from the Asgard homeworld, its crew placed in suspended animation. There was a failure in the navigational system and the ship was lost. Through the millennia, it drifted across the empty expanse between our galaxies until it arrived here. We discovered it six months ago. So this is one of the original crew members of that ship. And uh, it's from before they started all of this genetic manipulation and cloning that has led to their current predicament. So basically, the Asgard are hoping that there's something in this Asgard's physiology that can help reverse the damage that has been done, which like, yeah, that would, yes, very, very much. That would be very helpful. It seems. Yeah. So is that being in stasis or were they? Okay. So they are still technically alive. Yes. Oh man, that's old. For 30,000 years. 30,000 years. That's a really good power source. (laughs) I also noticed like with the camera work and stuff, you did not, find out whether or not it had lady or man parts yes yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i wonder if they had put it on the on the you know model though yeah i bet that's that they did not mention in the commentary <laughs> they didn't say. go over its parts no sorry mm. So Heimdall beams them all up to the cargo ship and they need to get the stasis pod connected to the ship's power supply ASAP. And once that's done, Sam would like to be beamed back down to the lab so she can keep working on how to rescue Jack and Tilk in addition to Thor now. Jack and Tilk are awake and Tilk doesn't really like their chance of escape because, you know, as Jack says, if Sam's smart, she's already gone. So how are they going to get out of there? And Jack, you know, Jack's not so sure that they really need to worry about that because all they've got to do is bust out of there, take out every Jaffa between there and the Peltac, and commandeer the ship and fly home. That's it. That, that's all. That, that's all. That Yeah, no big deal. They'll be fine, of course. It's only yeah. a few things. Yeah. Just then, Thor's voice comes over the intercom because his brain is connected to the computer now, so he can do that kind of thing. So the weird spiky thing is in his brain. Yep. Probably not comfortable. No, I imagine not. No. No. 
so Thor tells Jack and Tilk what Anubis has done, and they're like, we'd love to help, but we're kind of locked in a cell. So, uh, turn, yeah, Thor is able to, I guess, basically sink the ship into opening the door to their cell so they can get out. <laughs> yeah. Does that seem odd to you that they would actually give Thor that ability? Yeah, a bit. And they, they did talk about it in the commentary of like, we know this doesn't really work, but we have to get them out of the cell somehow. So <laughs> we know it it's not we know it's not great, but it's either that or like the help, help, my friend is sick and Jack Clopper's a Jaffa when they open the door. So, you know, yeah. they know it's not great, but it's, you know, what they need to do at this point. Yeah. So. All right. So Jack and Tilk are out, but Thor's getting weaker sort of as, you know, by the second. So he like signs off from the intercom. Mm-hmm. So Jack and Tilk are back walking through the ship when Sam appears again. Yay. Basically Heimdall is going to be able to beam everyone directly to the cargo ship. Once the shields are down and they're like, well, we don't have any C4. So, hmm. and Sam suggests pulling the control crystals directly, and she goes to check the ship's schematics to confirm which way they need to go. Quick shot up on the Peltac, where we learn that the battle with Lord Yu. Who? Me? You. you me? <laughs> is me? not good. <laughs> yes, you. Um, the battle with Lord Yu is not going well. The Jaffa that's there request reinforcements, and so two of the motherships head off. And one of the Jaffa tells Osiris that they've detected an energy signature beneath the surface of the planet. There's no way in, though. So, hey, I guess they're just going to have to bomb it. All right. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Excellent plan. Yep. Sam is back down in the lab and updates updates Heimdall as far as what's going on. There's then, like, a loud explosion and things shake. And it seems like the ghoul have found the lab. Sam has also, though, found where Jack and Tilk need to go, and she directs them there. She goes to meet them, and they're, like, in a hall where the control panel is somewhere in this hall. And they just, they find it, and they need to pull the right crystal out, and which one is it? And Sam's like, hold on, I think I heard something. And uh, then she can't tell them which crystal it is because she gets zatted. And there's that nice moment of, like, Tilk trying to catch her as she falls, but she's a hologram, so he can't. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, Osiris is there in the lab. Yay. Um, yay, boo. I know. Sarcastic yay. Needs to be more like, yeah. Yay. Um, so for Jaffa, find Jack and Tilk and are very quickly and easily dispatched for Jack and Tilk not being armed. But, you know, they're Jack and Tilk. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. And we have Sam dragged in front of Osiris, and Osiris is like, we have you, we have Jack and Tilk, now we just need Daniel. And Sam's like, mm, nope, mm-mm. not saying anything about that. So Osiris. Yep. Not getting into this with you right now. Yep. So Osiris breaks out the ribbon device to torture, because that's what the ghouls do. So Jack and Tilk look at the crystals, and Tilk is like, so which one is it? What do we do? And Jack's like, I have an idea. And he just like shoots the whole thing with a staff weapon. Crystal destroyed. Yay. The Jaffa up on the Peltac detects the shields dropping and Anubis is like, fix it. And you see him trying to, it's like, well, that's not going to get fixed because the whole control thing's destroyed. Uh, <laughs> that's just a, yeah. not going to happen. Uh, 
Osiris is still trying to get Sam to tell her where Daniel is, and Sam finally says that he's dead, but Osiris doesn't believe her. And you, you, I think you kind of see a little bit of Sarah, like Daniel, like being a little bit like Daniel's dead. What? You can't? No, that's not. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. I did uh, think that was interesting too. I noticed that as well. I thought I liked it. Mm-hmm. Something of the host does survive. Mm-hmm. Um, but before Osiris can keep torturing Sam with the ribbon device, we see Sam get beamed out. Then we get Jack and Tilk beamed out. Then Thor is beamed out. Everyone's back on the cargo ship. Time to go. And Thor insists, though, that he can't leave with them because his mind is still linked with Anubis's ship. And so they'll be able to track him. But Jack's like, that's not going to happen. Everybody's coming with us. We're all getting out of here. Uh, the Jaffa know that Thor is gone, but he's not going to get far because, again, they can track where he is. Tilk starts flying the cargo ship up from the planet. Uh, before they can jump to hyperspace, they get fired upon by the mothership, and the hyperdrive and cloak are damaged. Stu, any ideas? And Heimdall's like, let's just blow it all up, because we can't let the ghoul get their hands on this, so let's just blow up the ship. And Jack's like, any good ideas? <laughs> that's any idea. other ideas, anyone? Bueller? Mm. No. Luckily... Three Asgard ships appear, and they are apparently far superior to the one that Thor had. And then the mothership just leaves. And Jack's like, that's it. And I think we're all like, that's it. And they did discuss a bit. um, Originally in the script, there was plans for the Asgard's to like start actually firing on Anubis's mothership. And we see the shields holding, but maybe starting to like give a little bit. And then... The mothership takes off, like Anubis takes off, but maybe there ah. just wasn't enough money left in the budget to do that. But it wasn't quite supposed to be just that easy. But for whatever reason, that's just how it ended up being. Yeah. So, so in the end, they were like, this is because you walked right through the hologram. Damn it. because you walked through Amanda. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was no more money left for shields. Yep. Mm-hmm. Your fault. So back at the SGC, they're giving Hammond the rundown on what happened. And it seems like the Asgard were able to learn something from Reese because they've started to get a handle on the whole replicator situation. They were also able to remove that device from Thor's brain, which is good. But he has sadly lapsed into a coma. Not good. I know. And whatever this new knowledge is that Anubis has would certainly explain his rapid rise to power because he's just so much more powerful than any gold we've met up to this point what happens when a you bit, don't have a face <laughs> a bit later they all meet up in the hall with jack simon tilk in civilian clothes they decide to go head out and get something to eat hammond's gonna stay because he still has some work to do there's then a random breeze that passes by and looks like a malfunction in the ventilation system and sure that's that's what it was <gasps> glimmer of hope mm-hmm. According to the commentary, the script actually ended with Jack saying goodnight, Daniel, right there at the oh. end. But Rick was like, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to smile and tell the audience I know what's going on that way. Which I mean, yeah. I, I like I like what Rick did better. Yeah, I, most definitely. I think goodnight, Daniel would have been a little cheesy. I don't know. Absolutely. That, that, that decision was way more O'Neill. Yes. Of just the, the smiling, knowing yeah. look. Yep. And that's the end. And that's the end of the season. End of season five. Rare one where they don't end it on a cliffhanger to make you go, what? Yes. Yeah. 
because I so I was reading a little bit about it and they did this was the last season that aired on Showtime so they kind of wanted to wrap things up for the Showtime audience before it moved over to sci-fi I guess in case people didn't follow it or didn't know it was moving to another channel or something so they wanted to make sure the people who had watched since the beginning had a a wrap up for things Mm -hmm. interesting I mean there's still like there's still Anubis out there and stuff there's still you know the Asgard and the Replicators but there's no real yeah there's no real big dangling cliffhanger oh my god is they gonna die or not yeah kind of thing will our heroes survive of course they will well, the show's, the show's named after them, though. Yeah, I yeah, would well. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Next series, SG2. <laughs> yes. Um, so some final fun facts. The, this, this episode was nominated for several awards. Really? Uh, um, it actually won the Gemini for Best Visual Effects. Ooh. It was nominated for a Leo Award for Dramatic Series Best Visual Effects. It was nominated for a Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Special Visual Effects for a Series. And Ooh. it was nominated for a VES Award, which I, I didn't look up what that was. I'm not exactly sure what that is. Um, but that was for Best Character Animation in a Live Action Televised Program, Music, Video, or Commercial. Oh, fun. So, well done. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they went out with a bang. I think they deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Because Anubis has a Stargate face. <laughs> He does have a Stargate face. <laughs> and that's that actually, is- that's not even his face. That's like a shield he uses to keep his essence in place. Yeah. So. I call him Stargate face. <laughs> um, so episode title, Revelations. I think, you know, we get the reveal of like who slash what Anubis is. Also like the reveal about the Asgard and what's happening with them as a race. So. Yeah. I think that works as an episode title. Does does Extreme Measures work, do you think? You know what? I'm not sure. This, well, I mean, I guess the Asgard were trying to save their entire race. So, yeah. yes. But with a question mark, I'm Maybe going for like yes. for like half the plot is Extreme Measures. <laughs> Extreme-ish. <laughs> Um, okay, as far as foreign territory titles, we have a couple. We have in Czech, it was called Surprising Revelations. Okay. In Hungarian, it was called Recognitions. Okay. And then in German, you want to guess German? Uh, Anubis's face. The Secret of the Asgard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and of course. So. Oh, I thought go. it was going to be something about Anubis. All right. No, Secret of the no. Asgard, yeah. Okay. No. Anubis revealed. Okay. Yeah. Right, I guess that works. Oh, that a good one. Anubis revealed. That could have worked. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um. So, final thoughts on this episode. I liked it. I mean, like we were talking about last week, I'm glad they had one more episode after the Daniel death episode to kind of wrap up anything, kind of set a new tone a little bit, rather than just leave that mm-hmm. big. You know, with a big old gap. But as far as, like, season enders, I mean, even though it was a really big one for the Asgard and we got to see Anubis and all this stuff, it was kind of tame. Yeah, it was. Like, we didn't see the big battle that happened with, like, Thor and Osiris. 
at the beginning. We get told about it. But yeah, it's it's definitely an action light episode, at least as far as finales yeah. go. But I but I do like it. Like again, it's it's good. I do like it. Like you, I agree that it is good having this episode post Daniel being gone thing. Um, yeah. I think yeah. maybe it's just different because it isn't wrapping up a conclusion. It's kind of setting a tone for something new. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All I right. Like yeah. Um, okay. So next week we will be doing our season five wrap up episode. So um, you have a couple days to get in. If you have any questions for us, things you want us to discuss, talk about, um, you know, thoughts on things, if you want our opinions on the best ofs or this or that, and whatever. And we're, we're going to try and maybe have some new like fun categories <laughs> to talk about we'll play some games as we do but um yeah so that's coming up next week bonus episode season five wrap up yeah we're trying to find fun ways to get the episode to last more than 10 minutes yes so it usually does (laughs) we'll we'll see if we're successful i think we will it'll be fine it will be fine yeah yeah um okay well thank you for listening you can find us on instagram at sg underscore rewatch and now on discord um i'll put um something there there's like a season five channel on the discord i'll put a thing in there if you want to leave any like feedback for the wrap-up episode um you can go leave comments there or you can send us an email at woo that's w-o-o-s-g rewatch at gmail.com don't forget to rate and review us please and we'll see you next week for the season five wrap-up bye bye